Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. Roger Abel here with Elias Randall. Elias, how was your 4th of July? It was awesome. I, I'm a big fan of Independence Day holiday. We have a big cookout and a pool party and fireworks, so it was a really nice time. Didn't we discuss this on a previous show? You have a fireworks display at your house, but you don't touch the fireworks, right? I do not. Nope. Yeah, we don't. I don't do them. There's some other people that come over that handle all the all the fireworks. I'm not call me a sissy, but I don't like to be around dangerous explosives like that, especially handling them. <laughs> so, you know, my wife, we don't even do sparklers. I'm sure that doesn't surprise you, but we do no pyrotechnics whatsoever. It's not a bad rule. Life. In fact, my girls are actually scared of the sound of fireworks because usually they're sleeping and um, they come back to the bedroom and they want to sleep with mom once the fireworks go off. And we were down at Lake of the Ozarks, and it was literally like a war zone for three nights in a row. Yeah, I am. I am glad it's over because it's fun, but then it kind of gets to a point where you're thinking, really, another night of fireworks? Because every, every house or um, I know like the one of the small towns we live by, they have their show one night, and then people are shooting them different nights. And not everyone's very respectful as far as, shooting them after 10 o'clock at night or a reasonable time. Well, the scary thing is some of these fireworks are big fireworks and they could do a lot of damage. I know um, there was a life flight down the Lake of the Ozarks. A child had got mixed up with the wrong firework and they lifted them out by, by helicopter. And, you know, that's sad. And that that's why we don't do them because it only takes one mistake. That's not like no one intentionally tries to blow up their hand or do something bad with a firework. It's all an accident. Yeah, right. It's all an accident. Or one can just misfire, and next thing you know, then you're you're you got a finger blown off. And you know, it's that analogy is actually similar to retirement. There's certain what we call retirement killers that no one intentionally does. They just don't realize that they're doing them. That's one of the things we're going to talk today: are the six retirement killers and how to avoid them at all costs. Um, and you know, we talk about on this show a lot, having a plan. And when we talk about a financial plan, it's not just, hey, here's the financial plan, put it in a box and put it away, but you should have a financial plan. You should have an income plan. If you're a retiree and you're going into retirement, you know, having an income plan is critically important to make sure you're able to, to have this income last as long as you do in retirement. It is, and it's, uh, I think, what better year or what better market to talk about it than now, right? I mean, this year is really showing people uh, the how, I guess, the power of having an income plan, having enough cash in your cash liquid bucket, um, and then also having a plan to refill that cash as you go through retirement. So hopefully you're not locking in losses in your account when the market's down. And one of the challenging things now for people who failed to have this income plan is now they're trying to implement it. It's pretty hard to implement. I mean, it can be done. It just takes a lot of, a lot of extra work to implement a good income plan right now. If you didn't have one going into a market that's down 20 to 25% in stocks and bond, you know, the, the typical core bond fund is down eight to 12% becomes more challenging. You were in my office this morning. We were sitting down looking at a client account who didn't do an income plan, new client to me. And we're trying to figure out 
what makes the most sense to sell to raise cash right now. It's hard to choose right it's now. It's hard to choose because everything's down. So yeah, we try to pick the one where we're locking in the least amount of losses and there's ways to offset it. But for the average person or even above average person doing this themselves, I would venture to guess they're going to make some potentially wrong choices in trying to figure out what they're going to sell if they're trying to do an income plan. And if they didn't, what are they doing? They're just selling their target date fund and locking in all the losses. They can't, they, they don't, they're, they're not going to get them back. And, you know, I always use the analogy of the apple tree. They're just cutting a branch off the apple tree. Yeah. And there's been, so there's been opportunities this year to raise some cash, I feel like in certain areas. But, you know, if you don't really have any help or a plan or any guidance and you didn't take advantage of those opportunities to clean up your portfolio, it's like, because it's easy to think, okay, well, I'm just going to wait a little bit longer because we all want the same thing. We all want our account to go back to the highest value that it's ever been. Um, so there's been, there's been some opportunities, but then it just seems like, okay, it got a little worse again, got a little worse again. Uh, so I think that's kind of, that's something I've been talking about is if we do get, even if you think it's a, what do they call it? A bear or bear market run or a, what's a, what bear are market we, rally? Yeah. The bear market rally. That's the term people have been using. You know, that might be, even if you think it's a bear market rally, you know, that might be an opportunity to at least sell something at, I mean, it's probably still down, but not down as much and take those opportunities to raise your cash because that might be the best opportunity you get over the next 12 months, maybe. Well, one of the things that I like to look at are what is the opportunity cost going forward? If you sell a S&P 500 index fund, the probability that it comes back to its original value sooner rather than later is pretty good. Historically, Every bear market has had a 100% recovery rate and gone higher. Conversely, if you're looking at selling a bond fund, I'm not sure how long it's going to take that bond fund to get back to the value it was at if you own a core bond fund. That's going to, yeah. I'd... So so when you're saying, okay, I'm going to raise cash, which one has the least amount of growth potential long-term? And that's some of the things I look at in the portfolio when I'm doing that is what What's the smallest branch of this apple tree I could cut off? Which one's yeah, going to produce the least amount of apples for me long term? Yeah, that's and, and, and that's good advice there. The the great way to just not have this problem is before you go into retirement, have a plan of how you're going to get the money out. So that's one. Retirement killer number one is not having a retirement income plan in writing. Two, and we've we've seen these before, but this is using high in the sky investment returns. So what is this? This is just assuming we are going to make 11% a year. And that's the number you're going to assume you get for retirement. And I understand there are investments out there that have averaged 10, 11 and 12% for a very long period of time. And I'm not here to tell anybody that they can't average that, that return. I think you can, but what you can't do is use a static return scenario and what I mean by static is you use the same 11% every single year and never assume that the market goes down in value because that will never happen. 
the more the, the better way to do this is use what's called a Monte Carlo simulation that can simulate the different sequences of returns to give you a more accurate projection of what retirement might look like. Well, and variance and then sequence of returns, that's one of the most challenging things in financial planning to kind of account for those. And even things like Monte Carlo simulations, I mean, it's still a projection, so it's obviously not going to be perfect, but you have to have some way to make a really good decision. And then as far as like you were talking about, if you're gonna count on higher investment returns, like 10% or more, well, the reality of that is you're gonna have to own probably uh, investments oriented towards growth, right? So then the question is, well, does that even fit your risk tolerance? Are you a, an investor that can stomach those fluctuations? And a lot of retired people, some of their money can fluctuate like that and it's not that big a deal to them. But you know, mo most people, I know a lot of the clients we work with, very large fluctuation in their accounts. I don't, especially if they're taking money out, uh, it seems to be extra painful and outside of probably what what they can actually handle for risk. So, you know, if you're going to make assumptions like that, you also have to be able to invest in those styles of investments too. And I think that's a that's a good insight. In people, in my opinion, a lot of times that say, "Yep, I'll have an all stock portfolio forever," don't have a realistic realistic assessment of their risk. And what I mean by that is when you're 22, it's easy to stamina own all stocks. When you're 62, I'm not sure you'll own all stocks. When you're 50, I'm not sure you'll own all stocks. Over time, our perception with money and our relationship with money is going to change. Yeah, and I absolutely, I mean, that's to your point. That's what I think. I think I'll always own a 100% stock portfolio. Well, well, easy. that's easy to say when you're 33 years old. I actually think you probably will too. I probably have a better chance of actually doing that than you have. You've armed yourself because of what we do. We've armed ourselves the information that shows that a hundred percent stock portfolio over time historically has always done significantly better. And as long as you understand that there's going to be ups and downs and you understand that your relationship with money is, I'm not going to sell this investment when it's lost money. Assuming you own index funds, obviously if you own individual stocks, we, we've talked about that in the past. There's no guarantee that an individual stock will come back. But I believe that you have the the fortitude to potentially do that. But I even think of myself at some point, if I have a portfolio that's worth X, let's let's say it's whatever number, and I need to generate a certain amount of income, and I could buy a bond or some income producing asset and just get enough dividend to cover my living expenses, well, then maybe I would do that. Maybe I'd say, okay, well, here's however much money I need to put into this fixed income security to give me the income I need for the rest of my life. Well, then maybe I would go all, not have a 100% stock portfolio. My growth money will be 100% stock forever. Always. Always. Right. And But it's because we have the information. That's what we try to do on the show is arm people with information to make sure they're making good investment decisions. Three is taking too much risk with investments. And this is basically what we just talked about. And when we say risk, there's different levels of risk. I mean, you have stock market risk, but within the stock market, there's all these different sectors and asset classes. 
So when we say risk, it doesn't mean stocks are all inherently risky. They have more risk than bonds, but there are certain stocks that are riskier than others. For instance, if you are buying tech, if you are buying technology, technology funds hold more risk than a S&P 500 fund. Typically, there's more standard deviation. So a lot of people, though, think that the best way to make up for doing a poor job of savings is to take more risk. I'll, I'll never I'll give you a great example, Elias. I'm going to go back to like 2013 and 14, 2012, 13, 14. MLP funds were all the rage. You remember yep, this? I, rem I remember MLP, MLP funds MLP were energy funds. independent, yep. paying eight, nine percent dividends. Sounds great. Sounds great. Guess what the value is today? They're down like 70 percent dividends cut in half. But yeah. people, that was a way, hey, you know, there's this fund here. We could overcome our shortcoming of saving, get a higher dividend yield. Don't chase the yield. Like, don't take more risk hmm. than you need to take. We always think of risk just in stocks. You can take risk in the fixed income market, too. You know, there's well, high yeah. risk, high, high, high yield bonds. High yield bonds have historically done well. That doesn't mean they'll always do well. Right. And you usually see that when people are chasing yield. Because that's only the only way you're going to get the extra yield is by taking more risk. extra risk, and you know you can make a very good argument for, like, an um, like an economic environment like we're in now. You can make a very good argument that you absolutely shouldn't be chasing yield right now. You should be looking for quality in your fixed income because are we in a recession or not? We have rising interest rates. Inflation is so high. So that's yeah, that's probably something to keep in mind is. Yeah, that dividend sounds great, but is that within your risk tolerance? That's probably the next thing to start thinking about. And how and why is that dividend so high? That's the other question. The first question to ask, why is it so high? What's it mean? Is it signaling? Are they going to cut the dividend? That's the first thing to think. Are they going to cut the dividend? Because think about how a dividend gets high. It means that the prices went down. If if a stock had a dividend of 4% and now it's 8 can buy it at eight. That means the prices went down to get the dividend to eight. Normal investors don't think about that. People that aren't doing this every day aren't thinking about that. They're saying, man, the dividend's 8%. That sounds good. Well, if I saw a stock an 8% dividend, you know what I'd think? When's it getting cut? Right. Yeah. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the first thing that comes think. to mind. If it's that yeah. much higher than where the 10-year treasury's paying, when's it going to get cut? You know, there's certain companies out there, the Verizons of the world that have a steady dividend, but it's still 4% of the share price. And those are stocks that are designed to pay dividends. They're not, you know, but if the dividend was all of a sudden eight or 9% because the price went down, I'd just be saying, well, when's it getting cut? Pretty soon, probably. Pretty soon. I think number four on this list, Elias, is actually a really, really good one. Being so miserly, you can't enjoy retirement. You know, we, we talked about this on our radio show either a week or two weeks ago. And um, I actually kind of, we, we talked about this a little bit. And I think, uh, in my opinion, I think retired, retired people could actually spend a little bit more money. I know there's some data here talking about people that people are spending too much. But I think something to keep in mind and to make part of your planning is how much am I going to spend? And then what am I going to spend on enjoyment and having fun? 
Because if, you know, really, why, why did you save, why did you save all this money to just have it? Or do you want to enjoy it? You want to enjoy it with your friends and family? Um, so, you know, I think when we talked about this, I, I think one planning can actually help you enjoy your retirement more because then you feel, maybe you just feel like, okay, I have permission to spend this because I know it's going to work out. And if that's what you need to do it, then, you know, that's something you should consider. We talk about this all the time. Have a plan. My parents are getting ready to retire. I straight up asked my dad, what's your plan? What are you going to do in retirement? I asked my mom, what are you going to do? They like to camp. Outside of that, they don't have any hobbies. So they're going to have to figure out something to do in retirement. I think my mom will volunteer. Maybe my dad will teach part-time. I don't know. But what is your plan? Because they are the type of people that will spend very, very little. And for some people... Maybe retiring is not the thing that they should do if they're going to be so worried about the money. Even if they, we've had people, Elias, that come in here and their probability of success is very high. But still retirement retirement or retiring early for them may not be the greatest course of action because they might just be miserable worrying about how they're going to spend this money. And think about it for most people, though. It's probably... And I don't know because I'm not retired, but I'm going to guess it's a very hard transition. And I've seen this with people. They spent the last 30 or 40 years of their life and every single person has told them or media, financial advisor, 401k provider, don't, you can't touch this money. It's like this basket with a golden lock on it. You can't touch this money. You can't touch this money. And then one day you're like, oh yeah, by the way. You get to touch this money. It's time to get into that cookie jar. There's got to be no a mental block to. that yeah. they still don't feel good about getting into the cookie jar, especially today. Um, and it's one of the reasons we use that bucket approach with people. You can set up, hey, this is my leisure bucket. We ask people when they do a financial plan because I think this is a disconnect in our industry. A lot of advisors are putting together plans. They're doing a great job. But they ask the client, how much are you going to spend? And when you ask that question to a client, or if I ask that question to you, when they think, how much am I going to spend? They're thinking about their monthly budget. I asked my mom this question and she gave me a number that was so low. I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> that's what you're going to spend like on a monthly basis on the bare necessities to get by. But realistically, you're going to buy a new camper every five years and you're going to camp. And you're going to need a new truck and you're probably going to want to have a little fun. And, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. How many people don't think about that? When well, you say how much you're going to spend, they take out their they go to everydollar.com or whatever. You know, that's where I use through Dave Ramsey, his website to do the budget. They just go to that and like, oh, yeah, this is what I'm going to spend. Yeah. So their mind just goes to bills. They, People think, okay, what I spend is my bills, but that's not true. What you spend provides your lifestyle. So if you camp, go out to eat, go to sporting events, go to the movies, go to theater, whatever it is you're doing, all those things cost money. So what you spend, yeah, you're going to spend money on bills. Those are never going away, but your lifestyle is actually what you need to plan for. I mean, unless you're just going to sit at home and not do anything. Every single financial plan we do and the new fact finders, how much do you, do you have any one-time expenses in retirement? What are they? When will they happen? Do you plan on traveling? Are you going to travel more the first 10 years or the last 10? We always talk about those three stages of retirement, the go-go phase, the, the slow-go phase and the no-go. 
we all think our health is going to be great forever. That's just human nature. I think we're never going to get sick. I'm going to tell you for a fact that each one of us listening to this show or on the show at some point, our bodies aren't going to be able to do what they did 10 years ago. I see it all the time. And I don't know what the age is for some people. It's going to be 75. Some people will be 80, but you should probably enjoy that first 10 years of retirement. If you retire at 62, how many really good years of, you know, health do you have? When I say health, you might not get sick, but maybe you can't get around like you used to get around. Maybe you can't climb the stairs as well. Maybe it's just more aches and pains. Like that all goes into what you can do in retirement. So don't just hoard this money, get a plan to help you figure out what you can afford to spend and still feel confident in what you're doing. Number five is giving away too much too soon to the kids. I've had a few examples of this where parents think it's just time to give the kids everything because, you know, they don't want it to go to taxes or the nursing home or all these different things that could happen. And then guess what? Don't have any money for themselves. Now you're out of money and they spend it all. The primary purpose of retirement is to make sure you retire. And if you hit the unfortunate situation that you end up going to a nursing home and you don't have long-term care coverage or enough to fund it, it kind of is what it is. But just giving away to the kids so the nursing home doesn't get it, that's never made a whole lot of sense to me because then they're just going to blow it anyway. Like, I, I, I subscribe to the idea that you should have your family enjoy this money and you should see things and see them enjoy it versus just leaving it to, to them once you pass away. I don't think that's a great thing. I mean, yeah, it's nice to change your family tree. But wouldn't it be nicer to take the family, everybody, your kids, your grandkids, everybody on the vacation at Disneyland or Disney World, wherever you want to go and see them enjoy it. But just giving it away to the kids because, and I've heard this, maybe I should put everything in my kids' names so the nursing home can't get it. No guarantee you're going to a nursing home. No guarantee you're going to be there long enough to use it all. Yeah, and the other thing that at least these notes talk about is parents with grown-up children, so adult children that are they're still helping them with everyday living expenses. So I don't know how, you know, I don't know how many people that is um, or how many people that impacts, but that's, you know, I guess I feel like if, if you're, I would, me personally, I'd rather spend my retirement dollars on enjoyment than uh, helping my kids pay their student loans or, or pay their everyday living expenses, especially when I know there's plenty of jobs out there. There's plenty of places you can work and go make money. Yeah. You know, if I know there's parents that when their kids were in school, they maybe didn't have the resources to pay for college and wanted to. And maybe now they want to pay that student, but that's okay. There's no problem. But just to completely support your adult children isn't really the best idea with your retirement money. I just, yeah. you're not teaching good, teaching good habits, but it seems kind of Mickey mouse number six. And we, we talk about this a lot blindly believing when your financial advisor says you will be okay. And we tell our clients they'll be okay, but what we don't do is blindly tell them that. When we tell a client they'll be okay, it's because we've done a full financial plan, we have all the data, we understand their spending, and we've run a Monte Carlo analysis to figure out, will you actually be okay? I, I've had this saying for a while, I believe my opinion is good, but I'd really like to back my opinion up with statistical data, numbers don't lie. Statistics don't lie. If your probability of success is 91% and 
it's 91%. If it's 42, it's 42. Then I can tell you with a level of certainty whether I actually think you're going to be okay or not. And, and I believe that in our industry now, most advisors are now doing financial planning. 20 years ago, they just looked at how much money you had and said, yeah, I think you'll be okay. Yeah, the planning's a lot more robust now, right? For sure, for sure. Yeah, and the you know this is, you know, just believing, and I what some of it. I think some of it's like the generic advice that's out there, where I think people hear over and over again. Well, the best thing to do in a in a bear market is just to do nothing. And I think really what we mean when we say things like that is we're talking about market timing. Like trying to get in and out of the market, that's too impossible to be done effectively. But if you've done a plan and then you're not reacting to market conditions, it might feel like you're doing nothing, but you've already done the work, right? You've proactively done the work. And I think our firm does a good job of being financial planning kind of focused where the decisions we're making aren't just based on, well, this is what I think is going to work or, or based on emotion or anything like that. Well, and, and I feel like if you're working with someone and you haven't really like done a plan, at least gotten to the weeds a little bit on, you know, income planning and distributions and stuff like that, you know, it's, it's probably you should ask that question or maybe seek a second opinion. But that's a that's something you should be doing on a proactive in a proactive manner. When you mentioned something about bear markets, we actually just put that guide to bear markets out. You made the comment that most people get general advice of don't do no, don't do anything. And you're right. When we say we talk about selling stocks, but there are things to do in a bear market to try to take advantage of it and turn, you know, a negative into a positive in every market. There's a way to do that. So if anybody wants to get that guide, they can go to btwellshow.com and download the, the guide to bear markets. So Elias, we're talking about retirement today. Another question, and this has gotten trickier, is for the last you know 10 years, pension companies have been trying to get individual retirees to take the lump sum option versus the annuity option. They basically want to get them off the books. And for the last 10 years, there's a lot of cases where that may have made sense to take that lump sum option. But one thing I think people should start to think about is that we're now in a rising interest rate environment. Interest rates are up that has a direct impact on the amount of that lump sum. So let's say somebody did a financial plan even a year ago and their lump sum pension was half a million dollars. It's less today. And that's just 12 months. And it goes back to why when we do these plans, we call them dynamic plans versus static, meaning we're constantly updating them. But this is getting tricky for retirees to figure out whether they should take the lump sum pension or the lifetime annuity payments. It is, and we can, you know, through our planning software, we can help people at least, at least give them, here's kind of the pros and cons of each, this is the way it looks, and then they can make a good decision. Um, you know, but also with less people having, with less people having pension, it does make the, the, the planning a little more challenging because, you know, when we have a client or even a prospect that comes in and they have a pension and social security. Well, those items help financial plans. It helps make it easier because you can always count on those income sources. Those are never going away. There's no variance. They don't fluctuate. Um, if they have a, some of them, sometimes you'll get like an inflation adjustment. So some of them you even get a little bit of a raise every year. 
Um, but yeah, as less and less people have pensions, it will be more challenging. And then right now, as as rates are going up, those lump sum buyouts they're less. So now I don't, you know, I guess I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how people make those decisions and and uh, and how they feel about it. Well, and the, the pension, like you said, just makes it easier from a planning standpoint, mainly because clients don't have to manage the money. Advisors don't have to manage the money. You know, there's not the opportunity to misspend. You know, one of the things that's overlooked when advisors recommend to take a lump sum is the advisors looking through the lens of this financial plan. And they assume that the client behavior is going to adhere to the spending strategy that that was put forth. Well, what happens when the person has a million dollars and they decide they're going to build a new house and spend 250,000 of it? The plan ha- has changed. The plan has changed. Where that lump sum or the the pension annuity forces them to have a budget and live within the parameters because that's all the money they have. So that's one of the things I've seen in one of the negatives of doing a lump sum pension is you need to know what your relationship is with money. If you're a spendthrift, a lump sum like means you like to spend money and you maybe you had a tendency while you were working to get in credit card debt or overspend buy the car you couldn't afford. In my world, those are probably red flags that you shouldn't take a lump sum pension because you'll probably think I have a bunch of money and spend it'll be gone. Yeah, so those those fixed paychecks just coming in every month, you can spend it up and at the end of the month, on the next month, you get another paycheck. So you can just start spending it all again. Yeah, Elias, I think everything we talked about today really boils down to having multiple, have a financial plan, an income plan, a pension plan, whatever it is, have a plan for what you're gonna do with your money, take control of what you're gonna do with that. If anybody wants help getting a plan, you can go to btwellshow.com Click get help. We'd be happy to help you guys out. Do you have any other closing remarks for today, Elias? No, just uh, everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, we, we really appreciate it. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.